Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Estimating this by eye, but this uh, just uh, a glance around the room, this looks like a considerably smaller crowd than we've had in recent weeks, and I know, that there's, I, I know there are several families that are out for one reason or another, but guess what? Good to see you here. Welcome. Good morning, Living Word Family Church. Good morning, Living Word Family Church. And any idea if we are up and running on the live stream? We have had some uh, potential technical issues. If this is working, good to see you at home. I mean, good for you to see us. I can't see you. I like the old, uh, what was that show? Was it Romper Room? Where I see Jake and I see Laura. Was it Romper Room? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I got so excited when she said, I see Scott. She really does have a magic mirror or lens or whatever it is, magnifying glass. Anyway, uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, Join us in person when you can. Uh, Before I get into the word today, let me remind you once again, uh, and I think... uh, I'm going to spend a, a little bit of time addressing this, and I do have a short message, which is probably the other reason God gave us a time of extended praise and worship today. Uh, the, uh, I, I want to remind you that we, have, uh, we are this close, this close to relaunching our children's ministry. Uh, yeah, yeah, COVID knocked that out last year, and there, there, there were uh, some clear reasons we had to uh, make some adjustments, like most churches did. Uh, but ever since we began gathering again, way back in June, we have had Sunday school-age children, nursery-age children, toddler-age children in here in the sanctuary in the main service. And it can be tough. I know, I remember as a parent, you can get self-conscious anywhere, not just in church, where, you're, where your kids are making extra noise and uh, you get self-conscious. And, and I'd want to thank everybody, uh, who, every parent who has endured that, and I want to assure you that no, your child sounds louder to nobody than to you. You are much more sensitive to that than everybody else. But I also want to thank everybody else who heard a baby's cry and didn't turn around and go, get that kid out of here. I remember a story from Mike Goolsby, one of my dear friends in ministry, who years ago went to, I believe it was Ukraine, and he visited an orphanage. And there was one large room where there were over 100 babies in cribs. And he said, not a baby was making a sound. They were lying there quietly. He said, it dawned on me. He says, you know, healthy babies cry. This is what they do. It's part of their lung development and and vocal development and everything. He says, there's nothing eerier and more depressing than walking through a room full of babies and not hearing a cry. He said, and I decided, I determined in that moment, I would never, ever be upset at hearing a baby's cry in the sanctuary again in my life. And I think you guys have manifested that without a trip to a Ukrainian orphanage. So I appreciate that. Uh, But that's really not the point. We want to be able to share the Word of God with children at their level of understanding. Right? And we have... uh, Living Word is legendary for its children's ministry. We have a well-deserved reputation of excellence. We have the curriculum. We have the facilities. And we have most of the people we need to get this going, but not all the people we need. Um, we absolutely believe in investing in the next generation. That's why we have uh, aimed for excellence in children's ministry. And it's going to uh, require people who appreciate the importance of that ministry to fulfill this vision, get us back on track. And yes, it's going to require some of your time. It's going to take you out of this service for a specified number of Sundays. But everything that is important costs somebody something. Just remember that in God's economy, you cannot lose. We talk about that with respect to giving and and tithes and everything else and how God has promised to abundantly supply our needs when we obey him with the the tithe and the offering. Uh, But this principle applies to everything we do for God. And you might say, well, I don't really have the time to invest in that, and I'm so drained by the end of the week. Life takes so much out of me that when I come on Sunday, I can't afford to feed somebody else. I need to be fed. But remember what Jesus said. My food 
is to do the will of him who sent me. And when you find yourself giving in that sense, feeding others, you will find that God supplies you with giftings, with energy, with strength from his own throne to do everything, not just to do everything he's called you to do, but in abundance for everything. And you will find a new joy and new strength in just the day-to-day. All right? Uh, Please pray about this. And keep in mind that, uh, what are we lacking here? Four positions, and are they all subs? Are most of them subs? Are... Okay, we, we need, there's Lisa and Lisa. Wave your hands. Please see them. They'll tell you what, what we are looking for exactly. Uh, but even if you say, look, I can't commit to a month or a quarter or whatever we're going by, can you, can, you get online, can, you, can you get in line to be a sub in case somebody else can't be here? We can't get this going unless we have the backups. Uh, but pray about this. And if you are qualified, and most of you are, uh, then if you don't hear, if you don't have an open vision of God appearing to you and speaking to you audibly saying, don't do this, then take it as a divine mandate to do this. Okay? Praise the Lord. Do your part in uh, making Living Words Children's Ministry successful again. Hey, uh, oh, one more thing before I get into this. Brenda is uh, back in the hospital for some things. She's having some, uh, some health issues. Keep her lifted up in prayer, but also keep in mind she won't be in the office for a while, and we'll be doing our best to have somebody here manning the phones, but there, there's a lot of stuff going on. Be patient with us. You have cell phones if you, uh, if you need to reach us in the case of an emergency, and if you don't, uh, let us know. And we'll, we'll make sure you have a way to get a hold of us, but there'll usually be somebody here, but mainly keep Brenda in your prayers. And uh, now, uh, to get into this, and, and I do believe it's a short message. If you'll listen fast, I'll speak fast, and we'll be out of here soon, right? Last week, uh, David Beebe was here, and he delivered a superb message on the prayer of faith. And he was using as his text an obscure passage in the book of Matthew. Something about, uh, say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, Right? And the response to his message was phenomenal. I have gotten so much feedback. Wasn't that great? David Beebe was great. And he was great. It was a terrific message. And I let him know how much you appreciated it. In fact, I got a call from uh, Josh Peach. Many of you know Josh Peach. He's, uh, he's back from, he, he's been off of active duty for a while, and he's serving in a, a guard unit now, but he's been full-time with that unit for a while, doing extra duty and setting up some training. Uh, but he called uh, last week to say, hey, what was the name of that guy that, that was at church Sunday? I said, Dave Beebe, yes, awesome. He was awesome. And I was watching him, and he got to that part at the end where he's praying, and I'm like, he had a healing line. He was praying for people. And then he said, you don't have to have hands laid on you to be healed. So I just repeated what he said, and my foot was instantly healed from something that I've been dealing with for months. That's Josh Peach. I know Josh is watching this now. That's why I said that. So. But praise the Lord to see, to see God uh, working in somebody's life like that. So uh, we, we see these results and we get a handle on what the prayer of faith is. But it got me to thinking about some things because before Easter, I began preaching sort of a series on uh, messages based on some basic beliefs. And it's not really a series, just a number of one-off sermons on things like baptism, confession, communion, salvation. And the idea was to present these ideas a la C.S. Lewis. These are some beliefs that all Christians hold in common, at least claim to. But as you know, different words mean different things to different people, different backgrounds. And in fact, over time, whole denominations have sprung up over these differences, and that's fine. Uh, in, and in covering some of these things, I have allowed myself to assume that certain beliefs that we hold dear, like the prayer of faith, are more or less settled in everyone's mind. And I'm finding out that's not always the case. So let's start here. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about faith, the very word faith to start out with. Do you ever Google uh, an actor, um, athlete, a famous person or a public figure, a politician even, who something has happened, you saw them on TV, you heard them on the radio, saw an interview, read something that got you interested in them, and it's like, well, I want to like this person, but I wonder if they're a Christian. 
that would make me like them even more. Do you ever Google somebody and go to their Wikipedia page to see, and you scroll right down to the personal details to see if it says anything about their religion, their beliefs? Does anybody do that besides me? Serious? Okay, there's three of you do that. I'm always just curious. It doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make Well, okay, I can't like this person because uh, he's not a Christian, she's not a Christian. But I do. If I hear somebody say something you know, after a game in an interview and it's something sets, oh, it kind of makes me think they might be a Christian. So I go to look. And uh, sometimes I'm pleased with what I read. And sometimes I'm disappointed to read something like this. Uh, I consider myself to be spiritual, but I'm not religious. And, uh, and sometimes that strikes a chord because religion has, in many of our minds over the years, come to mean dead religion. Because of phrases, which I agree with, by the way, that, say, that like... Uh, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I believe that's true. But you know, there is such a thing as true and undefiled religion, and that's a good thing. That's what James talks about. But the word religion, I understand it has some negative connotations for a lot of people, a lot of evangelicals in particular. And so when somebody says, well, I'm not religious, what they're really doing is distancing themselves from any particular religion or religious identity. Or they'll say this, um, I have faith. I am a person of faith. I am a person of deep faith. But it has nothing to do with church or any religion. Okay? What's it have to do with? I'm a spiritual person. I'm a per, per, uh, sorry, person of faith, but they don't want to publicly identify with any particular belief system. They may even mention God, but they rarely mention Jesus. And that's a pretty significant difference. You can't jump to conclusions necessarily. I'm just saying there are these code words, but the word faith used in this sense uh, has always bothered me because I think the Bible has a very specific definition and explanation and practice and walking out of that word, faith. Now, let's look, because I want to look today at biblical faith. Let's look at two passages to start with, and then we'll progress quickly, I hope, from there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Most of you know this verse. It simply says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is the widely accepted definition of faith. The things hoped for are real things. The things not seen are real things. We hope for the things we have not seen, but this statement is not made in a vacuum. The rest of the chapter goes on to describe how Old Testament believers uh, hoped for very specific things. It didn't just say they pleased God by living a, a general life of faith. It says by faith they received this. By faith they accomplished this or that. And we will circle around to those specifics later. I want to first tie it in with this next passage, which is Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There are two super important truths in that passage. And the first one, of course, is really the last one mentioned, is that you cannot achieve salvation by your good works. You cannot purchase salvation. You cannot earn salvation. It is a gift. What is that gift? It is the grace of God that saves you, and that grace was expressed through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. That's what provides, supplies our salvation. So then the question becomes, if only grace can save me, is how can I obtain that grace? And the answer is, by faith, not by works. It is only by faith that we obtain grace for salvation, but then what he turns around and says is, but the faith itself is a gift from God. By grace you are saved through faith. All right? The faith is attached to something real, a finished work, a promise of salvation in this case. You cannot wait until you see the full, mature fruit of salvation in your life before you believe you're saved. It'll never happen. 
Faith is the substance of that which is not yet seen. The other important truth in that statement is that faith, uh, well, we covered that, faith itself is the gift of God, meaning you can't muster up this faith. You can't create this faith. God gives you the very faith you need to latch on to the grace that's required for salvation. Both of those, faith and grace, come from God. Romans 12.3 tells us explicitly that God has dealt to each of us a measure of faith. Now, this is super important. Stay with me here. This is absolutely foundational to understanding faith. So listen, listen, listen. You are saved by grace through faith. The verse I almost always quote during the altar call, during the invitation to salvation, is Romans 10.9. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You confess what you believe, and that results in salvation. But never forget, this isn't something you just decide to believe. Christ really did die for you and rose from the dead, and that's what we're placing our faith in, an event, a finished work, a promise. Notice, though, that even after confessing unto salvation, and we covered this in the first message months ago now, uh, about our identity, who are we in Christ, is that when you get saved, that happens in a moment. When you respond to the finished work of God in faith, make a confession of faith, you receive salvation as a gift. The new birth is something that is given to you in that moment. It doesn't mean that you are fully mature as a believer in that moment. But you don't just, over time, it's not like, oh, you're 40% saved, you're 50% saved, you're sick. And once you're over 50% saved, well, now you're going to heaven. Uh, or over 75%. You're saved. You go from being unsaved to saved. Kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. In a moment. But, guess what? You still have some changing to do, don't you? There are minds that need to be renewed. There's flesh that needs to be put down. Knowledge to increase. Wisdom to increase. We are filled with the Spirit, and we learn to operate in His gifts. We don't wait until all that comes to perfect fruition before we believe we are saved, right? Right? Okay, no, in fact, we eagerly and with great anticipation uh, believe that since He has begun a good work in us at the new birth, He will be faithful and just to complete it. Right? Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Uh, super important verse with a super important word in it. Uh, when it says work out your own salvation, that can kind of sound on the surface counter to what I just said. You can't work for your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. It's not a matter of good works. But notice it doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work it out. That Greek word there, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know this word and I love this word, is katergadsemai. And it means something on the inside being worked to or manifested on the outside. And my favorite uh, illustration of this would be something like an apple tree. And whenever I talk about this word, because its other significant appearance in the New Testament is in James chapter 1, where the trying of your faith produces, or katergadsemize, patience, is that it is something that is already in you. You don't earn patience, but the patience that is in you comes out, katergadsemize. And in this case, you don't earn your salvation, the salvation that is in you comes out. But you take something like an apple tree. An apple tree, when it is cultivated and subject to the right conditions, will produce what? Apples. Is it an apple tree because it produces apples? Does it make itself an apple tree by the production of apples? No. It is its nature. Apples are in that tree. They don't always come out. There might be something wrong. There might be a disease. There might be the wrong soil. It might be planted the wrong way. It might be chopped down, whatever. But it is the nature of an apple tree to produce, to cut your God semi, apples. It is the same way with you. When you receive the Holy Spirit, when you receive salvation, your nature includes 
the fruit of the Spirit in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, are, goodness and self-control are in you. You don't need to obtain those things. You just need to work them out. Practice those things. Cultivate those things. But it is God in you that is producing those things. So work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Now, the foundation of faith has, has been laid there. So let's look at, at uh, praying in faith and what it really means to believe God for something. And that's a phrase that we hear a lot in our kinds of churches. I'm believing God for this. I'm believing God for that. But where does faith begin? Anybody remember? Where the will of God is known. You can call it faith, but it's not faith if you can't draw a direct line between what you're believing for and the will of God. Look, I can ask God for anything. I can. I've known people, I can't say they have prayed this, but I've known people who are so enamored with nature, and I love nature, I think it's a beautiful thing that God has made. But I've seen people look at a waterfall, or a tree, or a star, and say, God, make me a tree. I would rather be a tree than me because trees live longer, they're at peace, uh, they don't fight. So much more pleasant about trees than people. So Lord, turn me into a tree. Could I pray that? I sure could. Anybody can pray it. Can I have faith for that? No! Why? Because Scripture categorically tells me I am a man and not a tree. There is nothing in Scripture that suggests even remotely that that is a prayer that God will answer, except with no. So yeah, I can ask for anything, but God can say no. Let me just interrupt myself long enough to say this. There is such a thing, and I hate using this, I'm not big into, oh my goodness. You know, there is a super, uh, what's the word I want to look for? I don't want to call it successful. Very popular form of ministry. And it's sometimes, I tell you what, I wish God would put this call on my life because I can't imagine an easier ministry. But it's called the ministry of criticism. I think I told you this story before, but I, I, guy, soft-spoken guy, super intelligent. I was having a conversation with him uh, in another pastor's office. And uh, this is a guy who had visited, uh, he had visited here years ago. He visited uh, a church I pastored in Farmer City. He visited several other churches in that area and was visiting this pastor in his office when I walked in. He said, I think... I've been looking for a church to settle in, but I think what God is calling me to do is simply go from church to church and then spend some time pointing out to the pastor what's wrong with his teaching <laughs> to correct these congregations. I'm like, wow, you know what? I think God's calling me to that because it would sure be better than pastoring week in and week out. It would sure be easier than going out... Uh, on the mission field, did I say better? It would be easier than pastoring week in, week out. It would be easier than going on the mission field. It would be easier than committing to a call to preach the gospel and see people walk this stuff out and walk through it with them because anybody can criticize. Now, that's not to let anybody off the hook. You know, to say that you're not called to the ministry of criticism doesn't mean that we aren't called to hold each other accountable and to offer correction and speak into one another's lives, Right? But no, there's no, that's not one of the, that's a five-fold ministry gift, the critic, right? The apostle, the prophet, the critic. Anyway, uh, where was I going with this? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I got to be careful about this, especially when dealing with people in my own camp. Uh, but I would, God freed me long ago from the burden of defending every person who calls themselves a faith person or a word of faith person. If somebody says something on the radio, on television, YouTube, whatever, uh, and somebody says, is this the kind of person that you listen to or follow? Uh, I can either say, you know what, I've always liked that person's ministry, but I disagree with that statement and don't feel guilty about that at all. Or I can simply say, no, this was not the kind of person I followed. But, but they call themselves word of faith. They call themselves charismatic faith people, whatever. Sorry, I disagree with this person or this statement, whatever. I don't need to attack them. God's not called me on a crusade to bury every minister who I disagree with. Okay? Yes, 
Uh, as a pastor, when somebody asks me, I, I feel obligated when somebody says, what do you think about this teaching or that teaching? I'm going to give you an answer because I want to protect you, but I'd rather just address the teachings. All that to say, uh, there, there have been some well-deserved critical statements about uh, charismatic ministry, word of faith ministry, because we have taken some things, some kernel of truth, and exploded it into something of, of much bigger importance than it should be, or simply run with it further than God ever intended us to. When, when uh, Jesus said, yeah, speak into this mountain, say into this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and if you, if you don't doubt but you believe, uh, it'll happen, people took that to mean something the Bible clearly doesn't teach, which is that I can have whatever I say, whenever, at any time. But didn't Jesus say whatsoever things? Yeah, he did. Are there limits to that statement? You better believe there are limits to that statement. I clearly, I mean, I can remember. I can remember just wanting something and just saying, I want it, therefore I'm just going to claim it. In Jesus' name, this thing is mine. This car is mine. Uh, it got a little bit crazier there when people started. I've heard the rumors. I've heard of things and, and people saying, uh, you know, uh, I, I fell in love with another man's wife, so I just began to speak to that marriage that it would break up so that I could have that woman. Now, is that clearly a violation of Scripture? Of course it is. God's not going to honor. That's not faith because there's no promise attached to it. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But when people start saying, well, I can speak things into existence just like God can, no, you can't. What you can speak is what God has already spoken about you. This is the limit. What has God addressed? We are, I'm going to show you scripture for this. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this is about the fall of men, which seems like a funny place to look if we're talking about the promises of God and faith, right? But, but stick with me here. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now listen, when you are faced with a decision about what to believe or what to do, you need to remember you have an enemy, you have an adversary who does not want you to act on the word of God, does not want you to obey the word of God, does not want you to believe on the word of God, does not want you to benefit from the word of God. Okay? So our adversary will always present this line of attack. The first place he tries to stir up doubt is, has God said? He will try to get you to doubt the word of God. And this is why it's important to know what God said. This is the importance of Bible study. Somebody says, hey, you know what? You can be saved. Uh, all you got to do is believe, and somebody will come through you and, and allow Satan to speak through them. You can't be saved that way. You have to jump through this hoop, that hoop, and the other hoop. Has God really said that? And you start wondering, well, no, Joe, my neighbor, said it to me. Well, you see what God said in his word, and you can believe these promises. Has God really said this? And so we know what the word of God said. Eve did, right? Satan says, eat, this, eat of this tree. Oh, God said we couldn't. Did God really say that? Yes, he really said that. He said we could eat of these trees, we can't eat of this one. Why? Because we'll die. So what's the next step? He tries to stir up doubt about whether God will do what he said. Okay, yeah, he did say not to eat of this tree. But he lied to you about why. You're not going to die if you eat of this tree. The reason he doesn't want you to eat of this tree is because he doesn't want you to be like him. Oh, that makes sense. Here, share this apple with me or whatever it is. And they got him. So if, we can't, if he can't stir up doubt concerning our knowledge of what God said, he will try to stir up doubt concerning his character. Yeah, he said it, but will he do it? And this is frankly where most people get tripped up. And we think it would be easy, obviously, if, we're, if it's a talking snake uh, offering us this temptation, we'd have the sense to turn away. Uh, but if it's our own mind, if it's a friend stirring up this doubt, 
still the same enemy behind it. Now, in the case of Genesis 3 here, what we're dealing with is not necessarily a promise. We're dealing with a command. We're dealing with a warning, although it certainly is a promise of some kind. I promise you, you will die. <laughs> but the same principle applies. Faith is not believing really hard in something or believing for something that you want. Faith is believing and clinging to something God has promised or something God has commanded even if you don't see it yet. My favorite example of this, because it's so clearly stated and because it refers to an episode that is recorded in such a detail, is Hebrews 11.11, 11, where it says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, most of us know the story of Abraham and Sarah. They were already on in years when God promised them a son. And the years passed and passed and the decades passed to the point where this cannot happen in the natural. They are past the age of producing uh, or bearing children. But the child of promise, Isaac, was indeed born to them. And this scripture clearly tells us that this happened because of Sarah's faith. Please notice, she didn't go to God and say, I would like a child, and I'm believing you for a child. Please give me a child. The promise came to her. You shall have a son. She clung to the promise of God. And because there was a promise there, she had something concrete to sink her faith into. And she was able to believe that and exercise faith because she had an accurate understanding of the character of God. If we had time, I'd take you over to Romans this morning and we'd look at chapter 4 and read about this there because it really does develop this attitude, this, this relationship with God and understanding his character as a key to faith. But you can go home and read that this afternoon. She understood God's character, that if he said something, he would do it. And she believed that well into circumstances that would have made it impossible for most people to believe. What was the result of that faith? Isaac was born. Now, here is my favorite faith illustration, and I'm getting near the end of this. Don't check out. Not super near the end, but I'm nearing it. We are much closer to the end than the beginning of this message. Are you still with me? This is my favorite illustration of faith. There is a vast chasm. Maybe not so vast, but it's one that I can't leap over. And I am on one side of this chasm, and the thing that I need or the thing that I desire, is on the other side of this chasm. The only way for me to get to that thing that I'm praying for, that I desire that I need, is for there to be a bridge. I cannot leap this chasm or fly over it. I cannot climb down one side and up the other. There has to be a bridge for me to cross to get from where I am to where I need to be. Pay attention to this, especially if you think faith is the bridge, because it's not. If I believe with all my heart that there is a bridge, I can see the object in the distance. I know this chasm exists, and I know I need a bridge, and I believe there is a bridge. With all my heart, I, even to the point where I am confident and I'm ready to cross that bridge, if I believe that with all my heart, but there is no bridge, I'm deceived, I'm hypnotized, whatever. What's going to happen? Is my faith going to get me across? No. I'm going to fall. If I step onto a bridge that is not there, I fall. I fail. I do not receive the promise. I do not achieve the goal. Also, if the bridge really is there, there really is a bridge, but I haven't found it. I haven't spotted it, or I see it, but I, and I don't trust it. This bridge looks rickety. Then what happens? There really is a bridge between me and the thing I need, but I won't cross the bridge. The bridge does me no good. 
and I don't receive the goal. I don't receive my desires. Two things must be present for me to possess my desire, for me to see my needs met. There has to be a bridge, and I must cross that bridge. You see, the other thing is this. I can see that bridge that's there, and I can see how good it is, how sturdy it is, and I can see where it leads, and because of my sin, still refuse to cross it. I know people like that. I have no good reason not to take this step, but I'm not going to take it right now. There must be a bridge, and I must cross it. The bridge is not faith. The bridge is the promise. The bridge is the Word of God, something I can stand on. I can't just look at that object, whether it's my healing or salvation or my protection, my provision, restoration, deliverance, whatever it is, and say, I desire that thing, and because I desire it, I'm stepping out. What are you stepping on to? Can you find something in the Word of God that says, I want that for you too. I have made this available to you. That's the bridge, the Word from God, the promise from God. Listen, when you understand this, you will see the bankruptcy of ideas like this. Well, God will save whoever He wants to save. He will heal whoever he wants to heal. He will impoverish those he wishes to impoverish. He'll enrich those he he desires to enrich. He will answer prayers or not answer prayers. He will say yes or no according to his inscrutable will. Now here's where it gets dicey for some people because it seems at this point like we are indeed impugning upon the sovereignty of God. You cannot say that God is obligated to man. He is God. He will do what he will do. But look, God is in his sovereignty, has not left himself open to the option of not, answer, of not keeping a promise. God cannot lie. When, I, when people say, you can't obligate God to yourself, no, God has obligated himself to his word. That's all I'm saying. When he says, I have done this, if you believe I have done this, you will be saved. The promise is the finished work. I have purchased your salvation. This couldn't be clearer other than when we're talking about salvation. Look at this. Uh, First, let me read this. This is my favorite uh, prayer verse, prayer of faith verse. 1 John 5, beginning in 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him. I like that because it is clear and it includes the boundaries. Does this verse say, you can have whatever you ask for? No, but it does say you will have whatever you ask for if you have asked according to his will. So this is what real faith, real word of faith boils down to. Has God said it? What has God promised? The life of faith, the practice of faith, the word of faith boils down to that. Has God promised something? But it also means this, that the fact that God has promised something doesn't automatically mean you will receive it. You must believe it, and you must act on that belief. Let's start with this, 1 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Similarly, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, I think these two passages and others clearly demonstrate what God's heart is for the lost. What is God's will concerning salvation? That none should perish? perish? That the world should be saved? Is God willing that any should perish? Answer me, according to 1 Peter chapter 3. Is God willing that any should go to hell? 
Follow-up question. According to your understanding of the New Testament, will some people go to hell? Yes. The New, New Testament clearly shows us that there will be a day of dividing and judgment, the righteous from the unrighteous, the believers from the unbeliever, the saved from the unsaved. And that what Peter was addressing here is people are getting impatient. When is he coming back? And Peter's saying it's not because he's slack, it's not because he's lazy, it's because he's patient. Because every day he delays, even though it causes suffering in our lives, is a day for thousands more people potentially to be saved. And he's not willing that any should perish. So is God's will thwarted in this case? Thwarted's the wrong word. It simply means people aren't submitting or receiving by faith God's will for their lives. There is a promise of salvation, a rock-solid promise, based on the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you don't believe it, you don't receive it. It's the same with everything else. The question of faith has to boil down to, has God promised? If he has, I can believe. I can believe, for instance, that I am healed because of the finished work of Christ. And if I don't see the manifestation or the full manifestation of my healing, I shouldn't panic. Because why? I don't see the full manifestation of the fruit of my salvation yet either. Do you? How many of you would say, I'm progressing, but I'm not there yet. I still manifest fruit of the flesh from time to time. Two people. Man, I'll tell you what, this church needs to get out and let your light shine because there are 98% of you are fully mature, bearing no fruit except for the fruit of the Spirit. God bless you. Man, what are we, let's, go, let's get out of here. Let's go home. Man, my work is done here. How many of you manifest the fruit of the flesh from time to time? How many of you manifest the fruit of the Spirit 100% of the time in your life? That's probably closer to the truth. Zero. All right? So, now, did Christ ever manifest the fruit of the flesh as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit? No. He was perfect. This is what we are aiming toward, to be Christ-like. Does that mean that we are not saved? No. The salvation is given to us on credit, man. It's a gift. And we have the, the privilege of working it out, walking it out, developing in it, and we will see it clearly, perfectly, face-to-face -face when we are there. Praise God. We are not earning this thing. Now, what am I doing? When I am getting better, but not there yet, I'm walking across that bridge. You said you're healed, but I saw you limping. I'm still walking. I'm still walking toward the complete manifestation of that healing. You said, my God shall supply all your needs, and not just barely, but abundantly, according to his riches and glory. I'm getting there. I'm walking toward that promise because he promised it. Now, what am I going to say? Look at my circumstances? I guess not. Just like Abraham and Sarah could have. Well, because we missed our opportunity. He promised us 20 years ago, but no way can it happen now. No, what did they say to each other? Who gave us this promise? God did. Is he faithful or not? He is. What happens? We get a son. Now, we will pick up here next week to talk about some specifics of what that looks like. I'm using some illustrations. I'm using some phrases. But I want to I give you some concrete things uh, to about how we walk this out. We've, and praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. We just laid a foundation this morning, but we will continue next week with a sermon that will likely have a title of something like uh, walking with your mouth. All right? We will uh, we'll also talk about what this faith and uh, what these promises are ultimately for. And spoiler alert, they're not for you. Correction, they're not all for you. God has a bigger plan for bringing these promises about in your life. Stand up with me. What God has promised, the most important promise he gives us. And, and all the, the Bible describes God's promises as great and precious promises. 
And it doesn't say the promise of God. It says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. With, by saying yes to Christ, you put yourself in a position to receive every promise that God made conditionally to the righteous man. This is super important. Look at the Old Testament. Blessed if you do this. Blessed when you do this. Blessing, blessing, blessing. If you are righteous. And what does Jesus do? He makes us righteous. He clothes us in his righteousness. So once we are in him, once we say yes to him, all the promises are yes and amen in him. Salvation, receiving by faith the gift of salvation that God provides only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ grants you freedom from the penalty and power of sin right now. Eternal life is eternal life with the creator of life. It grants you right standing with the creator of life and the creator of everything. Salvation makes you clean so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and truly live the life that you were called to live, do the things you were created to do, do the things you were called to do. And all of this has already been purchased for you. The bridge you need between where you are and where you need to be has been built, and it is the cross of Christ. Here's my invitation to you. Will you cross it this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truly great and precious promises. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that makes all of yours, every aspect of your salvation available to us. And it's my prayer right now, and I believe it's the prayer of every true believer in this room, that if there are any unsaved, unborn again, unregenerated, unbelievers in this place today, that you would convict them of the reality of your presence, of the potency of your promise, and the greatness of your love that makes salvation available right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Does anybody wish to answer that, to cross that bridge today, become a person of faith, receive salvation as a gift, and start walking across this bridge with us today? Anybody? Praise the Lord. In this case, I do believe I'm looking at a room full of saved, believing people, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Praise God. Thank you for salvation, Lord. You can be seated just for a moment right before we dismiss. Uh, let's continue right now to worship the Lord with our giving. If uh, you came here desiring uh, to, to pay the tithe, as the Bible said, or to bring an offering, uh, praise the Lord. If it's a cash offering and you want to make sure you get proper tax credit for it and you didn't grab an envelope out there, wave your hand. The ushers will get you one. Checks get made out to Living Word Family Church or simply LWFC. And as always, I know most of you dropped it in the basket on your way in. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Thank you for your obedience to the Word of God. Uh, used an illustration last week. I think was it last week where I did the $5 bill that Jessica got? Was that just last week? Uh, uh, I, can't, I can't afford to do that every week. Well, you know what? Yes, I can because I'm wealthy. I've been uh, the, the abundant life. I'm not going to do it this week. I don't have my wallet on me. But the illustration I gave was, I've got a $5 bill in my hand. If you, will, if you believe me and you want it, come up here. If you really believe, and if you want $5, your belief produces a kind of action, doesn't it? Which is be the first one up here to get it. This is where we're going to be going next week in detail. Not about money, just about belief in general. True faith causes action. It causes, uh, it causes decisions. We can't just sit there and say, yes, I believe that. If you are a dying of thirst and you believe I'm offering you a glass of water, you will come get that water. You won't just sit back there and say, oh, I'm glad he's got that water for me. You're going to come get it. It'll produce action. God said that I will supply all of your need according to my riches and glory. He said that if you will not forget me, not disobey me regarding the tithe, he said, in fact, test me in this. He says, you're wondering why, you, why, you're, uh, why you're not getting ahead, why, you're, why you're, your crops are failing and everything else. He says, it's because you've, you've uh, despised me 
and disobeyed me with the tithe. He said, test me now on this. You bring the full tithe to the storehouse and see if I don't do this. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. There's not room enough for you to contain. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. This is an incredible opportunity just to be obedient. But the New Testament standard is even better. Every man give according to how he is purposed in his heart. Your heart reflects the, the heart of Christ. You know, where a man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. Now, on one sense that says, wherever your heart is, that's where you're putting your treasure. But the other side of that is, wherever you're putting your treasure, that's where your heart's going to go. Can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. Why do we put this emphasis on? Because it really is part of our worship. By our blood, toil, tears, and sweat, we earn money. And that money represents our life. Because our life is measured in time. And we give this. We are literally giving God a portion of our lives. And he requires the 10%. And it's just always a privilege to obey him. What happens as a result? Well, ministries get blessed. The, minister, the many ministries and missionaries that we support. And praise God, I, I, I just am thrilled that through all the trials of, of uh, the last year, uh, Living Word has fulfilled every one of its uh, promises and obligations to the ministries that we are committed to. And they've been very grateful for you and your obedience. Living Word has continued to thrive and, and fulfill its mission. We've never had the, the lights off. We've never had the power off or any of that. Uh, pastor's been paid. Praise God. Uh, we believe that Living Word is good ground, don't we? And so now's our time to sow into that. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your abundant provision in our lives. And as always, we consider it a privilege in a moment like this to return a portion of that back to you with which you so generously blessed us. And we believe that every penny is blessed. It's multiplied toward the ministries we support. We believe that living word is good ground. And we believe you when you say you will give it back to us. See that it's brought back to us. Good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over farther so that we can give again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Listen. You can go ahead and stand up. We're going to go out with a song. Pastor Mike, you'll be up here to pray for people, right? If you've got a need in your life that you want agreement, whether it's a, a physical need or anything else, don't leave without being prayed for. Pastor Mike will be up here this week to, to uh, pray with you, to agree with you, secure those things which God has promised. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.